We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, guys? Andrew here with a special Friday quick programming note. The episode you're about to hear, John Schmelk, formerly of WFAN's NBA show, The Putback, and current podcast host, reporter, and media guy for the New York Giants, decided that he needed to get some takes off. And so he reached out to the fine folks here at Nick's Film School to come on for an extended conversation with John and Jeremy about the state of the Knicks and whether there actually is light at the end of the tunnel and whether that light is an oncoming train or not. Uh, This is part one of a two-part conversation that you're about to hear. Part one is what you're listening to now, obviously, and part two would be available on this podcast feed. So just refresh your podcast feed when this episode's done and put it next up in the queue. You know, podcast listening 101. Um, I will just say this. If you're a fan of RJ Barrett, buckle up. And I actually think John makes some very great points of conversations that deep down we're all having, but not verbalizing. And shout out to John for coming on to have that. All that being said, I hope you enjoyed part one. Part two is coming up next. Here it is. Part one of our conversation with John Schmelk are the Knicks in no man's land. Enjoy. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, a returning guest. It's been a little while since we've had him on, um, but this one, you know, it's special when we have this person on. So we had to get not only myself on for this one, but Jeremy Cohen as well. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? I'm great, John. How you doing? I, I'm good. I'm good. And I'm, I'm even better because we get to say hi and chat a little bit with our friend from WFAN. Um, he's not a new dad. 
but he's a new a new dad again. How do you say that, John Schmilk? How you doing, my bud? Uh, a little tired, otherwise doing well, guys. It's uh, it's good to talk to you, and this is kind of the dead period here. Uh, you know, after the yearly tradition of getting your heart broken in the lottery, now we wait for them to screw up the draft, and then we wait for summer league to give us false hope. So this is exactly the like meat of the off season. <laughs> I forgot how much of an optimist you were. <laughs> It really, I, I did. Um, but it's good to hear your voice again, regardless. Um, so, yeah, well, uh, congratulations, as I was just saying, off air. Um, a new a newborn, three and a half weeks old. Uh, yeah. Have you gotten any sleep? Yeah, it hasn't been bad. I, I've been, we've kind of split duties. I'm on paternity leave from the Giants. So uh, the wife's taking care of the baby mostly, and I'm taking care of the four-year-old. So I'm not sure which one has the worst job, or which one's easier and which one's harder, because both have their there's, challenges, Mr. Macri, as you well know. There's, there's no... There's no easy. No, there. Nothing about any of that's easy. As Jeremy, you'll find out someday. Yes, you um, will, but not for a while. I was about to say. <laughs> we got some time. I am a okay with that. But you Take, both have wonderful children, and I'm so thrilled for both of you. But uh, oh, we, I'm gonna watch we, from afar. We love them. They're great, but they are freaking exhausting. <laughs> I was actually thinking to myself the other day, like parenting is a lot. Like, I don't know if this goes for every like team that you root for, but for me, it's a lot like Nick's fandom. It's like you wouldn't trade it for anything. Right. Precious. Absolutely near and dear to your heart. Um, causes you some some pain and agita sometimes. It's it, it, it's some sleepless nights. Just throwing that out there. No, that look, look, you're absolutely right. And this is this is the best phrase that somebody used for, for John. I think you'll appreciate this. Having kids, it's long days and short years. The days never seem to end, especially people like, oh, you have a fun weekend, fun weekend. It's easier being at work than being at home with two kids on the weekend, right? Not even close. It's it's long days, but the years go by like that. So it's long days, short years. Dude, my my oldest one's about to finish kindergarten. I'm like, oh wow, my, yeah, yeah. See, my my oldest is, is starting kindergarten in September. There you go. You'll you'll see. It goes even starts going even quicker. Um, this is of course what everybody came to listen to. So John, I'm gonna <laughs> I'll I'll peel back the curtain a little bit. Um, we haven't hadn't talked in a while. I think we were probably due for another pod anyway. But you have something specific on your mind in regards to the Knicks and team building, which I think would probably be a good a good jumping off point for our conversation today. But before we even get to that, I because we haven't spoken, I think all season, right? The last time we spoke was probably last off season. No, no, no. I, I think you came on my pod before I pulled the plug on that sucker, probably sometime in January, February, I'd say. So the season. At that point, it all—it really does all blend together. Had not completely bottomed out. It was in the midst of bottoming out, probably. You, I think you would push the handle on the toilet, but it hadn't completely flushed down the drain yet. It was swirling. <laughs> yeah, it was swirling. Yeah, it clogged from there, though. <laughs> what, yeah, it avoided it ever. Um, what are your final, I guess, impressions of the the season that we just experienced? Because we, I mean, God knows we've been talking about it a lot over the last few weeks. But what, what, what's your input on it? Uh, unmitigated disaster. I mean, wow. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know how else you could put it. Like Julius Randle didn't just regress. He had the worst year of his career. I mean, you look at his efficiency numbers. They were yep. literally it was the worst year of his career. I mean, all of us thought he would regress, but I don't think any of us thought he would turn into that. Throw in on top of that the attitude issues and the fact that a lot of his teammates, if Mark Berman's to be believed, and I don't see why he wouldn't be given his sources that a lot of his teammates got kind of sick of his act. So that's right after you give him a hundred million dollar contract. Now it was the right thing to do. I was in favor of it. It's still not a terribly valued contract. That's fine. We all were, we all were in favor. Yeah. 
look, it, it was a smart long-term play. And look, it's not an unmovable deal. So that's not an unmitigated disaster. It's not good. But, it, you know, it's not like you just signed Eddie Curry to a 60 or $90 million extension, okay? So it's not that. Uh, R.J. Barrett had a worse year than he did last year. I know his point per game went up, but... His shooting regressed. He went down to 35%. His field goal percentage was worse, too. And I know with his an adjustment, though, with yeah. an adjustment to be a top role. option. Yes. Yeah, different role. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So I'd say slight. Let me put it this way. We didn't see the improvement I think we would have liked, or at least the sustainment of the shooting we would have liked to see. Maybe it it would have been nice to see him as he took on the bigger role to continue the shooting progression from, from last year. I think that's, that's fair to say. Yeah, we would have all liked again, that. Again, not even improve, just maybe. Keep it static, right? Even if the three-point shooting went down, maybe the two-point shooting got a little better, something like that. So maybe your aggression was a little strong, but not what you want it to be. Throw in the fact that, you know, now the fans have it out for Tom Thibodeau. And I'm so happy I kind of got off Twitter at the end of the year when I stopped doing the the, uh, the pod for WFM because I was having the second kid. Um, no matter what he did, it was his fault. And as someone that has watched multiple coaches get fired with the New York Giants over the past six years... This doesn't go away, right? Unless the team starts like 10 and 2 next year, which we all probably know is not going to happen. Like this is not, not going to end. It. So the knives are going to be out and they're going to stay out. So this is going to be a problem now with the fan base and the coach. And it's also going to be a problem with the fan base and Randall because the knives are out for him too, right? So arguably your best top player, the guy you're paying the most at least, and your coach, the fans can't stand. Um, quickly, good year. Uh, I think you're very happy with his progression. I think if he's the biggest bright, he's the biggest bright spot to me. Um, the shooting, you know, you hoped it was a little bit better, but I think the playmaking and the improvement there, I think overall you're happy with with what quickly did. You know, you guys did a great job talking about Mitch on on your podcast. I've been, you know, as I'm doing chores around the house on paternity leave, I'm listening to all your three and four part marathons here that Andrew's put out. You guys have done a great job, by the way. And congrats on all your success. It's it's, it's well earned and, and and well deserved. Blame Jeremy for those. Sorry, <laughs> nah, sorry for taking up too much time. You got you got you guys have done a great job. Um, you know, Mitch kind of has the dicks in no man's land here, right? Like he was good enough where you consider resigning him, but you know not good enough where it's a no-brainer. So what do you do with him? And, you know, Deuce was fine. You know, Grimes, I think, was better than you thought he was going to be. But yeah, he's gonna be a, you know, he's going to be a role player, right? You like what you saw from Obi at the end of the year, but the question is, do you believe the three-point shooting bounce? Because that was a lot of it. Like, he went from a 20% three-point shooter to a 42% three-point shooter. I mean, is it the more reps? Is it more confidence? That could be it. But, you know, you talk about my optimism. I've been teased too many times to kind of buy this stuff hook, line, and sinker. So, you know, to me, and, and this will kind of come to, I think, my oversold theory, I, I, was, I was pretty disappointed with the, with the way the year went because I think the Knicks are kind of stuck in no man's land now, to be honest with you. I mean, Jeremy, you've talked about the notion of, of no man's land. We both have over on our, on our pod several times. Like, I, it's something that I, I think about a lot you know, because it has been built up as the exact place that you don't want to be in the NBA. And like, I, but you can understand how the Knicks got here. Right. I think we could all understand how the Knicks got here. Like they had a really successful year in 2020, 21. It made sense at the time, I think to try to build off of that success. Sure. They, we, as we talked about Jeremy, mostly they did it responsibly Mm -hmm. and it didn't really work. And I, to me, it's like, I, I I think it's fair given those goals. If you want to go so far as to call last season an unmitigated disaster, I don't know if I'd go that far because I think they they did some nice things as an organization. 
But to me, this is the offseason where they're really going to show their medal because like, I think they, what they did last offseason was like, okay, fine. You get it. Right. Didn't work. Fine. Let's go back to the drawing board. I don't know, Jeremy, are you, like, we haven't talked about that, this specific thing that much on our pod, but like, what are your, what are your thoughts? We haven't, you know, I'd say that in a world we've talked about the superstar and the star factor yes. and the younger players and hoping from there, if the Knicks were in a position where like if they didn't have team options on a lot of these deals, if Kemba were signed for another year, if it just seemed like there was a log jam that couldn't see the end of the light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. I think I would be much more in that camp. But, you know, again, the Knicks have a surplus of first round picks over the next seven years. They've got eight picks. Um, they've got some really nice second round picks, which again, I know that's not something that is to brag about, but it's something to consider. They're in a position where they will have to trade for a star. Hopefully they can still have someone on the roster rise to the occasion. Hopefully they can find someone in the draft. But I think that basically the way I see it is you can try to trade for someone. And then if you plan out your cap space enough so that when the salary cap explodes in a couple of years, you're set up to then add someone in that way. I wouldn't call it no man's land. I would say right now it's like the Knicks are in it's, it's like you're either a contender or you're tanking, but then there's there are all these teams in the middle, and there yeah. are like 15 teams in the middle. It's a big deal. So middle. it's like, is every other team essentially in no man's land to an extent? I mean, sure, you've got younger teams that are on the rise, and like the Pelicans, I wouldn't call them in no man's land. But then you also think about like, there are restrictions there. How are they able to keep elevating? They have to bank on how, like, they have potential, but at the same time, it's, there are pitfalls involved. And so I think for the Knicks, they're not in the best position, obviously, um, because they still need that star talent. But when I think of no man's land, I think of like the Detroit Pistons when they had Blake Griffin. Um, Or the Bulls now. Or the Bulls now. Like those are teams where it's, they're trying to drive, but they're going in reverse at the same time, which it just leaves them stuck. They can't go anywhere. And I think the Knicks have a lot of room to pivot. Oh, no, Jeremy, you're right. Look, and they're not trapped here. And that's why we'll leave. And look, and here's the thing. Like I said, it was a disaster last year. I still don't think the Knicks did anything wrong. Like, you know, that's just how the NBA works sometimes, right? You do yeah. the things you think are best and it just doesn't work. It didn't work. So I don't think Leon Rose is a disaster. I don't think he's terrible. No. You know, I think there are fair qualms with Tom Thibodeau that you can have, but I don't think he's a bad NBA coach, right? I don't think he's a disaster area. So I don't think the Knicks did anything wrong per se. And the good thing is that because of their flexibility, you're right, they're not trapped here. And I think, Jeremy, I think that was a great segue to kind of, and I think I maybe oversold this as a theory when I when I sent you guys the DM on Twitter that I wanted to do you, this. You, you sold it. I got to tell you, you, you did sell it. It's it was, you got to back it up. Yeah. yeah well, I, I, I think you're going to be disappointed. Um, so basically my thing is here is that I don't see a way to get to be contender status anytime soon. And maybe you guys can help talk me out of this because I love YouTube. Because I, I'd love to be more optimistic here. And I guess the- Are overall, we the optimists? I guess we're the optimists, right? I, I think yeah, so. I, I think you guys are, to be honest with you. Macri, I always go for you optimism, man. What, are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> so for me, the overall theory is that the Knicks are kind of, unless lightning strikes, I don't see how they become a contender within the next four or five years. And you talk about being in no man's land. If you have your first star, I don't think you're ever in no man's land because you're one star away from contending. Yes, I would agree. That's the problem with the Knicks. We thought Randall could have been that guy. And if he was that guy, then even if he was your number two and not your number one, right? Then I think you're in a much better spot here. 
The problem is now he's your number zero because he's not even capable. The way he played last year, he can't even be a three, right? A number three or a four because he needs the ball too much to be that guy. Well, right? I think that the, that's the, not to cut you off, but like the, the no, biggest, please. I think the biggest point of, um, well, it's not a point of difference between Jeremy and I, but like, like Jeremy sides with what you just said a few minutes ago, which is that it's still not, it's not a bad contract. The Randall contract, like no, it's, it's, not. It's, it's not a disaster. And I'm more in the place where like, okay, what is the, who is the team out there that is going to say, that is going to look at Julius Randall and say, if our goal is to win a championship, to actually, to hold up the Larry Ryan trophy, you're going to look at him and say, that's a guy that can help us get there. And maybe that's not, a. I think where Jeremy's more coming from is like, that. that's not the fairest way to look at it. Cause that's realistically, that's not the way teams look at it. And that I know that intellectually, but I guess that's the part that I'm having trouble getting over. And we like always, you know, talk about like, well, it only takes like one desperate team who looks at him a certain way. And it's like, well, if you bring him in our system and he's like under, he's a clear number two and this and that that's. So that's where I'm, I am siding with you on, on that issue. I, I, but I don't know. All it takes is one team. Well, the one thing I just want to interject with, like with Randall, for example, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I I guess, do I go Macri and Schmilk since it's both Johns? Sure. Go for it. So Macri, I know what you're saying. Um, I do think it's, if it's a team like the Blazers, for example, we certainly talked about, talked about them a lot. Yeah. Right. If you're Portland and one of your few options to get better as a team is to go get someone like Julius Randall and you don't really have other opportunities to get better. Are you just going to not, go with Julius because of the fact that like you don't want to. I, I think that's the thing where you want to build a contender. Every franchise Every wants does, to be yeah. a contender, but there are the steps involved. And this is something I've kind of got loaded in the chamber, which I can sort of give a taste for right now, which is John. Uh, oh, Schmiel, oh I, I totally agree with you that there Well, maybe I wouldn't say four to five years, but I would say there is a window of time. Let's call it two to three years with the Knicks are not going to be contenders. Um, they may not even be pretenders. There's going to be more of a slow build and then they will make some sort of move and then they'll have to keep progressing from there. But that's the other thing that I want people to keep in mind as we talk about other signings, right? Like I see people who get very upset at the idea of Jalen Brunson and I think, okay, well, are the Knicks going to be a contender by the end of his contract? Maybe not. Okay, if they're not going to be, then... What is the significant concern? Most of it is Emmanuel quickly focused. Most of it is just people being uncomfortable paying a guard, regardless what it is. Like you have to take incremental steps to get to a point. I think you could look at a team like the Clippers, where maybe not the Clippers, the Nets. Let's how about the Nets, right? When the Nets interesting were, example of these yes, days. <laughs> but, but when the Nets sold the farm for the corpses and carcasses of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. And they were then left destitute. There was probably a point in which they thought, this is rock bottom for us. We're not going to recover. It took a few years. I wouldn't say this is what they had in mind, but in 2019, going from the spot that they were in to landing two marquee free agents and only took one promising season for people to be like, hey, this team is, is taking strides. It's just that things can switch on a dime. And... I- if it, if you get one guy in the building, it can then shift the other narrative because I don't know how many Lakers fans realistically thought when they were tanking for three years in a row to keep their pick. Well, we could just sign LeBron James and then we could trade people for Anthony Davis. Like, it just one move can then change everything. It's sure. identifying what that move is. 
Right. I agree with you. The problem is that, and, and like, even if you could trade Randall away, right, you're still not going to get a star player back. So you're basically kind of resetting that bar back down to zero, right? In terms of trying to get your next star. So let's say, or if you, or if it is a star, it's a star in name only. And it's a right. star that comes with what, I mean, we don't have to go through names, but like, you're not getting some really good back for Julius Randall. Let's Correct. say that. Exactly. You, you, you're, you're getting salary filler more so than anything else. Right. So then when you look at this, if the next move per se, and Jeremy, I think I listened to what is 24 or 25 the year when the next free agent class is up that you think has some legitimate stars in it. 25. It's 25, 25. All right. So that's yeah. three off seasons from now. Right. Mm -hmm. So the next move in theory then would be the trade for a star. Right. And I know we've had this conversation. All three of us have had at different times. That shouldn't be your first move, right? Because no. that drains all your assets. And then it becomes extremely difficult to get the second guy. Because unless you're getting the new version of LeBron or Luca, you know, you don't you can't just get like Luca and then somebody else. I mean, you can't just get like, you know, you know, player 15th best in the league and then add player 40th best in the league, you're gonna win. You need two players between 10 and 20 or 10 and 25, whatever you want, right? If you're not gonna get a superstar. I know you guys had that great conversation about who's a superstar, who's not. <laughs> you still need two stars. If you have one of the superstars who are impossible to get, then maybe you can have a Chris Middleton as your second banana, right? But if you don't, you don't have Giannis, Chris Middleton can't be your second banana yeah. if your best player is the 12th best player or 14th best player in the league, right? You need somebody better than that, as it says, your second banana. Well, I, I mean, I just I think it's interesting watching these conference finals because we're we're kind of seeing. Uh, maybe this is just my thought on this. I think you're seeing four teams who are doing it, who did it in very different ways. I mean, you have the Mavs who I think have, like you said, like you have Luca and then the next best player on the Mavs, I guess it would be Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is the, I don't know, see the 50th best player in the league. He's the 60th best player in the league. I, yeah, I, something I, like that. Yeah. But, but, and granted it doesn't, none of this works without Luca. It, it is a system that works. It makes sense. Like, and I think that's the thing the four teams have in common. The Warriors obviously have a system that makes sense because they have incredible personnel and they've been doing it for almost a decade, you know, and then you have the heat who are not attacking this in a traditional way. And they have one top 15 player. I would say I, I, maybe I, even only top 20, maybe even only top 15, 20, 20 bam. There's a little shine bloom off that rose after these playoffs. I mean, bam's like top 30. Yeah. The you heat know. are almost an exception. I have trouble using the heat as a, as a, uh, as a thing you want to copy. It just seems it's so out of I, character for the league. It's hard for me to figure out and it's exactly so how you copy that. Best mm -hmm. coach in the league who figures out how to make a functional. Well, we shouldn't talk about functional offenses after game five, but like a lot Great of the time, defense, like all that stuff. Yeah. yeah no, they, and they're, but, and then you have Boston who has a superstar. Mea culpa. Oh, he's um, in. He's in. He's, he's in. Nice. Listen, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue at this point. I mean, the guy, he's proven it. Um, even though he has, he's had some not great games since we've had that conversation. Anyway, um, he's a top 10 player in the league. And then you got Jalen Brown, who is a top 25 player let's to make it fair and then you know again some other nice players so i i don't know i think and you look around the league like there aren't like who's the super team next year i mean who's the team that everybody's going to be looking at and be like oh my god we're not going to be able to beat no that team I, so i i think maybe i'm not saying we have to adjust our definition of like what it takes to build a contender because it still takes a lot of talent that the knicks do not have but me, like once upon a time, I remember Jeremy and I in the in the early days of this podcast would have these conversations where it's like, okay, 
how are we going to get two of the top or three of the top 15 players in the league? Because if you don't have that, you're not going to win anything. Now I think it's more like you could, there are different ways to at least get in the conversation. Is that, is that fair? I think so. I mean, here's yeah. the, here's the other thing too. If you are the Knicks and you're willing to stay patient for an off season, two off seasons, let's say as time goes on, your, your assets, the players that are younger are going to hopefully knock on wood, get better as yes. they get better. Their value increases as the players who are stars on the open market, as their contracts wind down, their value often lessens. So if you can find an equal point where the value of the players on your team exceeds at the star talents, uh, dwindling contract situation, then you are able to strike and you're not, it's not like a gut punch. And I think that's the one thing that's why when I see a lot of fans wanting to kind of go in on this big trade, uh, a hundred percent, like if you go in and get like a top 30 guy right now, it's kind of like a bridge to nowhere. It, if the Knicks did that, I would actually even more agree with you about like the whole no man's land type of philosophy. And yet it would still be finding a way to go and upgrade your team. And then you can always flip that player. Cause if the Knicks sign or trade for a player or even draft them, it doesn't mean that they're here forever. They could very easily then be moved as well. Like we saw the Knicks turn Dennis Smith jr. And a second round pick into Derek Rose. Yeah. I'd be very curious if the Knicks are turning Derek Rose into someone else. And if that someone else is then flipped into someone like you keep trading up and up and up. And at a certain point, that's the whole point. You're, playing the long game, you got to focus on what the future might bring. And so as the Knicks kind of go about it, it's just like, how can you take that next step? And then eventually when the time's right and everything aligns and you don't spend too much to get someone, are you able to keep and, and move forward? No, agree. hundred percent. I'm with you. Go ahead, John. I, I, no, I, because I, I want to get your thought on this because this is another area where I think we, we did, I, Again, logically speaking, and we talked about this, and again, I agree with you. On paper, it makes no sense to make a trade for, I mean, let's just let's put a name to it, to make a trade for Donovan Mitchell like this offseason. That being said, if they got him, and God knows they would have to give up a lot and then some to get him. Like, are we really to sit here and believe that another star would not figure out a way to force his way here within the next, I don't know, 18 months. I understand like, yes, there's a question of like, what assets are you left with? But like, and I, and this is where I go back and forth, like how much asset, how much in assets do the Knicks have? And I, I agree with you that it, uh, the point about like the assets are not at the place now where they're fully appreciated, but Hey, they're not done compiling that. So they have a draft pick coming up in a, less than a month in which they could draft, hopefully another guy who appreciates considerably in value. Like, we don't know how these packages, how the package is going to look. We don't know what's going to be left over. We don't know how much that what is left over is going to continue to appreciate in value um, or appreciate in value. Like if they get Brunson, does he factor into this as either like a third cog or a piece to trade? Like, that's why I think we, we a lot of times in the NBA, you look at a, at a situation on paper and you say, okay, there's no way this could get from point A to point, you know, whatever point down the line. And then, you turn around, and you look up and be like, how do like, 
crazier things have happened. You know what I mean, John? What are, what are your thoughts on that? No, look, I, I agree with you um, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think where, where I'm kind of at is this, is that in my opinion, I still think you kind of need the two stars, right? I think that has to be your goal. It's hard to get one and then kind of try to figure it out. I think that's tough. And it's hard to sustain that way too. I you agree. With all the best teams in the league, you need two you know, all-star players on your team, okay? Two, um, two, uh, two all-stars. That, yes. That, yes, that is, I think I would agree with that. You don't yeah. need you- necessarily two all-NBA guys. I think that's probably a little bit strong, but you need one, all, have a one all-NBA and one all-star. How does that sound? I agree. I would agree yeah. with that. Well, my question, though, is um, why do you hate R.J. Barrett? <laughs> uh, you know, I knew I knew it was going to come to this. Mm. Do, you, do you guys want to do this now? Well, we, we, can do we could, but we can do the one thing I'll say, if you look at all four teams that are left standing, three of them have superstars that are homegrown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you look at Miami and just... This is their second trip in three years to the Eastern Conference Finals. And a player like Jimmy Butler, who uh, we're all on the same page. I, you know, I don't necessarily view him as a superstar. I view him as a star who can have a superstar impact when it I matters. Agree. But mm-hmm. if that's like, but then if a, is that basically a runaround way of saying he's a superstar? I, I don't know. I don't think so. But there has to be an emphasis, but it doesn't have to be the only thing. Because then Bam's homegrown. At, I know he he's not their number yeah, one, but, but, but he's a, a defensive player of the year candidate and he is the backbone of a lot of what they do on. But does Jimmy, end. does yeah. Jimmy force his way there without he forced his way there because of the infrastructure Bam is a big part of that infrastructure. So I, I don't, I think you say three out of four, I think you even kind of like say three and a half out of four, right? Cause well, Bam is such yes. a big part of it. He's foundational, but he's not. No, I, that's, yeah, yes. Right. I agree. He's not that superstar effect. And I think again, if Jimmy, if the Sixers pick, Jimmy Butler over Ben Simmons, then the Heat are where? Not in the Eastern Conference Finals because no, they're left yeah. kind of floundering and figure out what to do. But so it does start internally. But then you look at the Raptors and what they did with their championship run. They didn't have really any homegrown, like quote unquote homegrown guys. And they didn't have a single lottery pick that was on their team. So doesn't Kyle Lowry kind of. I know obviously he was. Of, he's they, below, when he's they got below. him, he yeah. was the considered the what? That. 30th best point guard in the league. I don't, I, mean, I don't even know. Sure. And they also use their homeroom guy in DeRozan to get Kawhi. To get too, Kawhi. Which exactly. Also part that, of so, too. which is, but they focused internally. That's Siakam. Making, don't forget Siakam. Yeah. That's sure. Siakam. But then Siakam at the time also, and I, to an extent, like he's not a first option. He wasn't, a, he was able to no, thrive he, he off wasn't. of yeah. having these guys. So that's, that's really it. Where if you can line these things up and look internally, it's like, I don't, really know what else the Knicks can do other than just draft smartly and keep their eyes peeled because what people would say is, well, tank and the Knicks just aren't going to do that because of the fact that it's not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is because the Knicks and their front office aren't going to focus on ways of moving backwards. They're not. And then in the hopes of, you know, I know it's a great draft, right? But then if that's the case, if there are teams that are better than the Knicks and they wind up in a similar position next year, is that really the worst position to be in? I don't think so. Right. I don't think I'll so say at all. this though. And I think this is now the conversation to have. And we could talk about RJ Barrett specifically if you want. But then how do you between now and 2025 when you have that shot at the free agent class, how do you best handle your business, right? What's the best way to go about things in terms of player deployment and how you're operating to maximize your chance to land those two stars? And I agree. Developing the young guys has to be number 1. A, either they develop into a star themselves, or they develop so well that you can then package them for a true star at some point. So that's number one. 
So then you get back to, all right, well, it's development of the young guys. And I think despite what people like to yell about Tom Thibodeau about not playing the young guys, he actually has developed the Knicks young players pretty well. More I'd so say than he's done a pretty good job. Any other regime. So aren't we at the point now, though, where we've seen these young guys play, where even if it's at the expense of a few wins, these guys should play a little bit more? And look, the Knicks would be in a much better spot. You guys went through all the trades in, in your podcast, right? The Knicks were slotted in at the seventh spot this year instead of 12th, right? That's only a few losses. Wouldn't they be in a much, much better spot with the chance to grab a shade and sharp with the chance to grab? Um, oh, I, I understand what you're saying. So well, seventh in terms of instead of 11th in the draft. Yeah, okay. I'm not saying tank, but do you have to, you know, play Alec Burks 34 minutes to maximize three wins to win 37 games instead of 33, which cost you four or five draft spots, which legitimately reduces your chance of obtaining a superstar on the cheap. And this is kind of my thing here. You know, eventually the Knicks had to get a superstar on the cheap. And when I say on the cheap, I mean through free agency, just money or through the draft, just to pick. You need to have found money somewhere, right. whether it's you draft it, whether it's right. you find Kyle Lowry off the scrap heap and he turns into an all NBA. Or you have Kyle or you have Kawhi Leonard holding out with a fake injury. Like some crazy stuff has to happen. And we thought, and that's what makes not to pile on Randall. No, the Randall thing, absolutely. That's, that's what makes the Randall thing so disappointing. You thought he was that, found money. That was the found money. Mm. And then listen, and I maybe, maybe he reverts. He did it once, right? He bounced back once. You never know. Crazy things have happened. I, I guess what I'm what what I'm leaning towards is like I, I I don't think it's impossible to have a situation with the Knicks where they get something like even if you look at like Fred Van Vliet like they didn't get Fred Van Vliet and but at the time Fred Van Vliet was looked at as like it's an overpay right to to get him at whatever the contract was like if the Knicks had got like well you're paying a lot of money for it now well I think either Van Vliet or Gordon Hayward right. Any either of those guys would kind of qualify in this conversation. Well, right? except Hay Hayward would probably not have been the best because of the injury situation. Well, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. But like, I don't know if you get Jalen Brunson, like what is everybody saying about the Brunson signing? Well, it's a lot of money for a little guard. You know, he plays alongside Luca, this, that, the other thing. Like if Jalen Brunson comes here next year and, and makes an all-star team like Fred Van Fleet did last season, I'm not saying Jalen Brunson is Fred Van Fleet, but I'm also saying like, the guy's played now how many playoff games? No, I think that's the, fair. I, I, 17, yeah, I, I, 18. 18th tonight. Yeah. 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 And he's averaged, I don't know what his exact average, but like he's put up numbers that would be like, okay, yeah, that guy might be an also. Like, I, I think it's not, there is a possibility to do it. I think this draft pick is huge. And then to get to the RJ conversation, which I think is a good place to get to at this point. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about Factor. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never-frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe they're actually good for you. Factor saves you time by delivering chef-crafted meals to your doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep. Not to mention cleanup. No dishes to wash here. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's even faster than ordering in. Factor tackles the tough stuff so I don't have to. Their registered dietitians and expert chefs work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. And with 29 meal options each week, I'm never bored. Going off script for this next part to tell you just how convenient and delicious I've found Factor. My to-do list is usually never-ending, whether it's producing this show, hosting my own show final review, preparing a proposal in Long Beach, doing my taxes, or whatever else. I rarely have time for meal prep. When Factor sent me a box to test out, I chose the extra protein option. They sent me a week's worth of meals, and I had no idea just how convenient this was going to be. Each meal comes pre-prepared. You just put it in the microwave for two minutes, wait another two minutes for it to cool down, and boom, in four minutes, my meal is ready, and it's delicious as well. Last night while I was editing this podcast, I heated up the pork shepherd's pie with white cheddar Yukon mash and roasted green beans. Not only was the prep time non-existent, but I was able to get a lunch break in and still get the podcast out for all of you to hear without taking a significant break. They have plenty of other meal options as well. There's vegan and veggie meals, keto, low-calorie options, cold-pressured juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, the one I chose, veggie sides, and more to keep you fueled and focused all day long. Don't hesitate. Head to go.factor75.com slash filmschool120 and use promo code filmschool120 and get $120 off. That's code filmschool120 at go.factor75.com slash filmschool120 for $120 off. See, to me, this is the conversation that nobody wants to have because we keep talking about Okay, if you mortgage everything to get the first star, then how do you get the the second big guy? And I think the reason we're having that conversation is because neither you two or anybody else in Nick's land, if they're being honest with themselves, thinks that a combo of Donovan Mitchell or any other attainable star, right? Via trades, attainable star and RJ Barrett is winning anything. Not next year, not three years from now, not five years from now. And there's a reason for that. Like we, like it's just like they're not good enough. Well, so here's, Jeremy, here's the beauty of it, though. We don't have to think about that right now because if Donovan Mitchell's not, not going to be here, not today, we don't. Right, but, but but that's what I'm saying. I think the reason why people don't want to have the conversation is because it's too early to 
have the conversation. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about that conversation. I'm talking about the conversation of we start next. Donovan Mitchell starts the year on the Jazz. Great. No, I. Yes. And we get to the well, when's the the all star game is before the trade deadline, right? It's after. Oh, so then. okay. after. So this this is a conversation really for next summer. Yes. And the conversation for next summer is R.J. Barrett has made more progress and you have an opportunity to trade him straight up for Donovan Mitchell without trading anything else. And by that point, your other assets have appreciated. Obi Toppin's gotten a little bit better. Emmanuel quickly's gotten a little bit better. Let's say one of the other young players has gotten a little bit better. Let's say you hit the draft pick. Let's say you got another top 10 pick coming in the lottery. All of a sudden, if you're Utah and Donovan Mitchell's like, okay, I gave it another year. I want out. I'm leaving in two years anyway, so you better trade me now. And I want to go to New York. Um, And if you could trade him for RJ then, and then trade whatever other stuff for I don't know, Joel Embiid or whoever that other big time star is. That's the conversation. I, I don't think anybody wants to have. Yet. Well, yeah. And, you know, Jeremy, real quick, you talked about these guys not fully appreciating yet. These young guys. Right. So don't trade them now until they've fully appreciated to their value. Well, Barrett's about to hit that point. Right. Because once he signs that extension and he plateaus a little bit, his, it depends on what it is, though, John. Well, I know. But, you know, what? You come on. You don't think R.J. Barrett's going to want his 30 mil a year or whatever it is? I, I'm sure he'll want it. But uh, yeah, if, if, the Knicks, <laughs> if the Knicks aren't comfortable doing it and they also have a plan in mind for how they can sign him and then also create an environment centered with him in mind. Right. Then I think he could certainly be up to it. I don't know him personally, though. I, maybe he right. doesn't want that at all. No, he look, seems like someone who's, who's and all these focused. players should try to maximize the amount of money. They sure. Make, no question about it. Absolutely. So for me, I, I, that's kind of one of the things I want to talk about. Like, does it make more sense to try to find somebody that believes that RJ is going to be an I eventual would. all-star all NBA guy now? This summer? That star you know about? Like, or, or maybe it's at the trade deadline. Maybe RJ has a great, maybe RJ plays in the first two months next year like he played in the last two months last year or something like that. Which, by the way, still isn't as good as people point out, just, I, just for the record. But it wasn't um, efficient. It wasn't efficient. Yeah, I mean, I went through it. Do you know how many times RJ shot over 50% in a game last year? Over 50% over in a game? Over 50%. He played uh, in 70 games. How many times did he shoot over 50%? I'll go 20. 13. 12. Okay. Once every six games. I mean, and that's three in October, by the way. Three of those came in October before the, oh, wow. before the season even got rolling. Yeah, so it was his hot start. That's poor. It is. It's poor. And, and that reason is why I don't think you're going to find anyone who is going to give you what you think fair value, you meaning the Knicks, yes. what you think fair value is for RJ Barrett oh, right fair. now, and, which is why you, you shouldn't, not I don't think you should low. trade him. Absolutely no. not. No. I'm with you on that. But for me, and the reason I'm less bullish on RJ as other fans, you know, the one thing I've learned scouting in the NFL, right? Points and stats and performance is good. It's all about traits, man. Like traits, traits, traits. You draft traits. And RJ is a, what in the NFL you call a straight line player, right? He's a, he's, he's, you know, he gets build up speed. He's a straight line player. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of wiggle. The biggest thing about RJ and the thing that I think is eventually going to hold him back is his inability to create space, right? If you want to be a star in the NBA, you need to do one of two things. You need to be able to create space athletically at an elite level. That's either with explosiveness, with quickness, however you want to do it. One way or the other, create space. The other way you do it is by being an elite shooter. In my opinion, in the half court, I have not seen 
the athleticism necessary from RJ to create space on a consistent basis. Even his drives that he finishes, they're all contested. He doesn't clear shoulders. He doesn't drive past people. And he has, that's why his shooting percentage at the rim is so poor because he has to take such difficult shots because he doesn't create space on the initial drive, right? He does it well in the full court when he has a, has a runway. And then we all know about his jump shot. It isn't where it needs to be. His pull-up game, you look at the clean the glass percentiles, it's yeah, not very good. It's not great. And keep in mind, this his percentages aren't very good when teams are basically telling him to take a pull-up 16-footer whenever he wants off the dribble, and they don't care if he does it. That's not in his bag right now, that pull-up 16-footer, which you kind of need. I think every elite wing at least needs to be able to pull that shot out if need be. I'm going to, I'm going to, I've eaten a lot of crow. And then John, real quick, I'll say one more thing. Yeah, sure. We've seen him be able to attack drop defense as well. That's the one thing I think RJ does really well. If against a pick and roll, if you play drop against him, you give him a runway to build up some speed, he can get to the lane, he can finish. I think it is well against that. But against switches, he doesn't attack mismatches while on switches. Occasionally he'll bully ball against little guys, but otherwise not great. And I think, you know, his most efficient part of his game is drawing fouls, right? And I think he does a good job again to the line. The problem is that in the playoffs and in close games and fourth quarters, the end of games, the officials don't call those fouls as much. And the whole point of having a star player is to be a shot maker at the end of games to help you win close games. Why are the Knicks so bad in fourth quarters and close games this year? They didn't have a shot maker when teams turned the screws defensively in the final six minutes of the game. You know, Julius was that guy two years ago. He was. Derrick Rose was that guy two years ago. Well, Rose because of injury and Julius because he disappeared. They weren't there this year. You know, if those guys played at least in the fourth quarter the way they did the year ago, this team would have won five or six more games easily. Easily, just on close games and not blowing leads. But I just wonder, unless again, the jump shot, somehow he pulls an elite jump shot out of his bag, which is not impossible. Anybody can do it. But I think that's a, that's a stretch to think that's going to happen at this point, given especially his three free throw percentage. He doesn't have great touch. He's a little bit stiff. Like I said, more of a straight line guy. I just have trouble seeing him be able to be that guy at the end of games to create a shot for a high percentage shot for himself to close out games and defenses in the half court, turn up the screws and the officials aren't going to give those less than obvious foul calls in the lane. And that's, that's my, I hate RJ, which I, really I was about to say, I, mean, because yeah, I do J- think John. by the way, when his career is over, he might make one or two all-star games. That's possible. Like he might have a great three months and make an all-star game here or there, but I'm just not sure he's ever going to break through that top 50 player in the league type of conversation. Well, what's great about this, John is like, we don't have to ask you why you hate RJ Barrett. Cause you just told us. Yeah. <laughs> very, 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 oh, very out about it. Um, I do just want to say in terms yeah. of, so a lot to, to unpack. Um, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I think the thing with RJ as well is also the players who are around him. Um, like we're, if we're talking about Julius Randall and all the things that have gone wrong and the fact that with Mitchell Robinson, there is what negative space as well when it comes to like, he's often just found in the dunker spot or underneath the basket. It yeah. can be a challenge for RJ to be as efficient as he needs to be. Um, it's a problem. I will say though, that the, it's not the shot making that was an issue in my mind for a lot of the losses, a lot of it did fall on Tibbs' shoulders. And we have proof of that because when he was with Minnesota, we saw a ton of blown leads and it wasn't this opportunity where it was like, Hey, the Knicks could have like stolen these games. It didn't feel like that. It oftentimes felt like 
let me go back to old reliable, which was a bunch of crappy veterans who like to not play with pace, who like to basically let the lead dwindle. It felt like they were playing preventative basketball. They weren't trying to go on offense. And then at a certain point, leads slip away so much. And there's so much inflexibility that it's like, well, maybe the young players should try. And if we go back to the conversation about picking between the seventh and the 11th and all that, I mean, at the end of the season, the Knicks were winning games mostly on the backs of the younger players. Mm -hmm. And then you could argue, well, then should they have even tried to develop? I mean, they should. They should have tried to develop the players. But then the philosophy is, well, if you're pick hungry, then wouldn't you just stick with what you know is not working versus trying something that might work? No, they had an elite taking weapon. And to me, though, if you play the young guys and it works and you're good because you play the young guys, awesome. You win. Right. That's well, fantastic. It, That's great. I would have no problem with but that. But they kind of they did right. that after the All Star break. They, I mean, they had a. Didn't they finish? I, I forget what the exact record was after the All Star break. But it was decent. It's it was like twelve and eleven, yeah. something yeah. like that. It was you also saw the their schedule the soften up a lot after the All Star break too, which is also a big part of that. Uh, it, it, it was it, it, There were some tough. There was some tough competition towards, towards the end. end. So there were there were a couple games in there, but the the tough stretch was the. January to mid February, heading into the All Star break, when they yeah, absolutely fell three and seventeen is right, and a lot me, of that was veteran focused. Yeah, let me sure. say this about RJ. Here, here's the I I will simplify it. I think even more, which is that it's really tough to be a successful perimeter player in the NBA today who is who has the ball in your hands. You know, you're running the offense more or less, which is I think any any all NBA, any all-star caliber wing player like generates a lot of their team's offense. It's really tough to do that if you don't have any kind of an off the dribble game from behind the arc. And I think Jimmy Butler is literally the only guy in the league today that you can say that about where he is his team's engine and teams don't have to guard him if he's outside of 15 feet. I think he's, I think Jimmy Butler is something of an anomaly. And I think we get a little bit too, I personally get a little bit too comfortable with the, well, RJ could just continue to model himself after Jimmy. That said, that said, Jimmy Butler, when he was RJ's age, was still in college, you know, and it took him three, four seasons to start to really now, it's very easy for us as Nick fans because we love our team and we love our guys. And it's easy to like RJ Barrett to assume that RJ Barrett has the work ethic that Jimmy Butler has or close to it. I I'm a little more dubious of that because Jimmy Butler for everything we've been told has like one of the greatest work ethics in like the history of basketball. Um, so to assume that someone else has that, I think it might be a little bit much that said, I do think RJ's work ethic is pretty good. And yeah, I think the too. reason that we could say that, is because we have seen some proof of the fact that like this guy, and I said it all up and down, he was terrible as rookie year. <laughs> he was awful. He didn't deserve to make one of the other rookie teams. He wasn't one of the 10 best rookies. Like I know his situation was crap and the spacing was awful, but like he wasn't good. He got better. He adjusted as a second year player. Um, I'm not putting it past him to continue to develop, develop the playmaking parts of his game. The, the shooting parts of his game, maybe a little bit more off the dribble stuff. Again, doesn't need to be Steph Curry out there, but like teams just can't constantly go under picks. That's really what we're talking about. Right. John teams yeah. just can't, they can't just go under picks. And I, I think I, well, I, I'm, I get what you're saying about the playoffs and the free throws and the whole thing. I think he has a chance to be one of the, honestly, I, I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll say something a little, I'll, I'll give you a hot take. I think he has a chance to be the best wing foul drawer drawer in the league at one point. 
I think he has that in him. I'll buy that. All right, let me ask you, but before we move on from Artie, let me ask you guys this. If I put, you know, a pinky finger on the line, how many all-star games does RJ Barrett make by the end of his career? Oh, I've gone, I've gone back and forth about this a few times, a few times with myself. My I, I, would, I would put the over under a two and a half. I, that's where I've said it in the past. I've said it at two and a half. Jeremy, you're, you're a little higher than me, right? I am. I originally had it at a much higher number than that. I will. I'll go a little bit down, say three and a half, maybe okay. four and a half. But but I, I want to go back, though, because I'm still kind of taking it back. So you think Terrence Davis had a better um, all rookie <laughs> bid than RJ Barrett? I'm, I'm going to hold your feet to this. <laughs> Terrence Davis helped a winning team win basketball games. But since when is the rookie of the year? Or any of those distinctions helped been any in any way correlated with winning? Like Michael Carter Williams won the rookie of the year and played I, I for know. the Sixers. Yeah, but I think his look, we could go. Play, came off the bench for 68 games, 68 of his 72 games off the bench. Within Philly? No, Terrence Davis interrupted. Oh, Terrence. Yeah, no, look, again, RJ had a lot more on his plate, but he was like the advanced stats, like the on off stats, like the efficiency stats, all of them painted him as one of the worst players in basketball his rookie year. But then didn't that happen with someone like Anthony Edwards and suddenly he's the media darling? He switched He switched it about midway through. He started to become a, a somewhat helpful player. I, Listen, I'm, I'm just... Look, if they put him on one of the teams, I would have been okay with it. I would have been cool with it. I'd be I know, fine. Just, it's more... But that Aaron was not Davis the soapbox that I was getting on. I, I know. I, I had to... Yes, yeah. I hear you. I, I heard it. I had to stick up for RJ Barrett. He's getting a beating on this podcast. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll go three and a half to three and a half all-star games. All right. But and, and by the way, guys, go ahead, Jeremy. I'm sorry. There, there are two things just like, and I don't think they're mutually exclusive. The front office can want to build with RJ Barrett and the front office can also feel that at the end of the day, down the line, RJ doesn't have to be the answer for what they're doing. Sure. And I think we're, we're still at the first point, which is just like, getting the tools to develop him, to make him the impact player, seeing what you've got there. And it's why I certainly hope they can come to an agreement on an extension and that it's not ginormous and they can, they can move forward. It's more that I think another thing to, to consider with RJ is a lot of it is in the NBA strength focused. And before I, I hear you in terms of like speed and explosiveness, RJ certainly doesn't have that, but then I'm not making a comparison here, just more as an example, like, Jimmy Butler is strong. Kawhi Leonard is strong. If RJ Barrett can continue to add strength to his frame, then he can be crafty enough and strong enough where he can bully um, other players and mismatches. And I think that's also where he has room to grow physically as hit like where he was when he started versus now, it seems like I don't want to say night and day, but there's a stark difference. And I just wish he was a little bit longer, Jeremy, to do that better. I wish he was just a little bit longer. If he is that like that Paul George or Kawhi length, I'd feel better about that outcome. You know what I mean? I hear you. Absolutely. And he's a little bit shorter as well. So 100%. No, look, any guys, I I do not hate RJ Barrett. And again, the Knicks should not just dump him. They should pay him if it's a reasonable contract. And I think that kind of gets back to where we are. So guys, build assets, keep getting better. That's fine. But like, like, you can't let Mitch walk away for nothing then, right? But if you pay him, then mm. you run into cap issues in two years. And, you know, then you get to, you know, John's boy Tibbs, you know, then you got, you have to play the young guys. And He's look, and I, I was going nuts as much as everybody else. I, 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 fans are driving me nuts every game. If, you know, 
Obi Toppin didn't play 38 minutes. People were ready to storm the garden with pitchforks. I was, you know, driving, driving me nuts. I couldn't take it anymore. But at some point, you have to do what maximizes your chance to achieve your ultimate goal. And I think right now, they're kind of caught in between a little bit still in terms of how they're going about that. And I'm not sure there's a great way to do it. Because I just feel like right now, along the path they're at, and I think this goes back to our original conversation, you're waiting for lightning to strike. And you're just waiting to fall ass backwards into a star with the 11th or 12th pick in the draft. You're you know, hoping you get cap space in 25 and a star is available. He doesn't resign and he wants to leave and he runs, runs your way. I mean, as hard as it is to trade for a superstar, that's honestly the easier part of what the Knicks <laughs> path to a championship I, is right now. And when that's the easy part for you, yeah. it's really, really hard. And I want to be convinced that it's not that hard. And, and maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree. Maybe it no, is. And, no, and, and that's how the NBA works. Look, I, here, here's ultimately why I think they're in a better position than other teams is there is zero chance that Donovan Mitchell or, you know, any, any other, and like, I'm sorry. I, I, I respect Reggie Miller. I respect Stan Van Gundy, like them constantly getting on this, this thing where they're like, nobody wants to come to the next, the next, this, that, the other thing. I, I think we have to consider the fact that at least this regime, this coach, like what they have going on, like it's the first time in pretty much 20 years that they've been looked at as competent other than when Donnie Walsh was here and when Donnie Walsh was here, like, they did get a, a, a superstar. They got mellow. Um, so I, I'm not sure I, I agree with their point that like nobody is ever going to want to come to the next somewhat like that is not the situation in you know, most other NBA cities. So I in think 25 they, markets like there's 25 markets where teams will guy will not force their way to that market. You're right. Exactly. I, and, and that makes New York different. I agree with you. Yeah. And so we've been saying it for two years now. Just get decent. Get good at playing basketball games and someone at some point will look at you and say, I want to go there. And then, but here's the problem, John, here's the problem by doing yeah. that. You are racing the opportunity to get a homegrown star through the draft. So, well, you're not, you are, and you're not though, because you're, like you're, you're certainly reducing it. Well, you're certainly reducing sure. It. But it, like Miami, you're not getting a top five. What did, what did Miami do in order to get Jimmy Butler? What were they doing preceding that? Did they have any top five picks the year that they went 10 and 31 as a start that then went 31 and 10. Yeah. I, I think that if you are a good team, players are interested. It was the big yeah. reason why when it was Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the Knicks have double max cap space and RJ Barrett, it wasn't like, Hey, even if Zion had landed in New York, you're telling me that Kyrie Irving, who was determined to go to Brooklyn regardless, and that was just terrible reporting and intel that Steve Mills and Scott Perry seemed to have. But let's say they didn't, they had that Shocking. intel and they were still comfortable with the opportunity. And let's say that with Zion in the building, they're listening, right? You're still going from whatever situation you're in to the worst team in the NBA that yep. year. And if you are able to at least show that you're good enough, right? Like the Clippers. Why did Kawhi want to go there? Well, he, he wanted to be near his home. Would he have gone there if they had the worst record in the NBA? I don't think so. They wouldn't have had the supporting cast. LeBron going to the Lakers when they were that crappy was like completely something we just have not seen and probably won't see for a probably very long time. Um, and I just think that you're talking about like how you structure it. Here's how you do it. If you're the Knicks, you obviously build as smartly as you, po you possibly can financially. What does that mean? It means don't give 
crazy contracts out to players where you feel like they'll fall short. That's the RJ situation. I've talked before how I love RJ. My heart says, give him the max. My head says not so fast. That's not the right thing. <laughs> with Mitchell Robinson, they're not even going to run into a salary cap issue with him per se. It's more, do they want to commit to Mitch as Mitch? Do they want to better allocate that money? Because I don't think the problem with them is we don't want to pay a center, period. I think it's, we're not in love with Mitchell Robinson and we think that we could probably better get like get a player who's of similar caliber for around the same cost or cheaper and turn Mitch into another player or a traded player exception, which turns into another player, whatever it is. But if you're the Knicks and you are able to basically design your contracts so that they decline every year, and then you bring in someone like a Donovan Mitchell type, and then you walk into the 2025 season where cap space, hopefully, if everything is being reported, explodes with the new TV deal. And then you don't have to make room to get another star. You basically just slot a guy in and they say, like, you're telling me that the Knicks who look good, they've looked consistent. There's something that's like kind of being built here in real. I can just walk there. And we could just go from there. It's exactly what Kevin Durant did. Mind you, the Warriors were a little bit better than where the Knicks would be in the year 2025. But you're at that point where then you get that player. You can go over the salary cap. You have a lot of your future picks at this point. And if you're going over the salary cap after you've already signed that star, you then maybe can flip that salary for another star. And then you can go in and truly do it. And then you're looking at a situation where it's like, well, we've got one guy that we traded for few years back, right? Let's say this is 2026. Got one guy we traded for in 2023, 2024. We signed another guy in free agency. And then from there, we were able to then leverage our going above the cap to sign another player. It reminds me of the Celtics. Obviously, the reason I say it reminds me of the Celtics isn't because of the Jason Tatum angle. No, it's the Al Horford angle and then getting yeah. Gordon Hayward. And then obviously they made a great trade that worked out for them and they got Jason Tatum from drafting smartly and Jalen Brown and they are where they're at now, but it started with, let's just get a good player in the building and then we'll get another good player in the building and then we'll keep accumulating talent and it might take a few years, but we're going to get to the point where we feel comfortable and we can be a contender. And now with them being one win away from making the NBA finals for the first time in over 10 years, it starts to make sense, but they don't have the Jason Tatum. They don't have the Jalen Brown. They need to find ways of getting. Well, they might. You know, they might have the Jalen Brown. They might. Hundred percent. Why do I hate RJ Barrett? Um, yeah, exactly. Seriously, man. Why do you? <laughs> but that's the thing. If we're talking I'm the about, RJ defender on this, if pod. we're talking about playing the long game and multiple stars and everything, then yes, I think actually to go back to uh, Schmilk, your initial point, four to five years for true, true contention. Maybe that's not so far off, but maybe you can at least find a sweet spot where on where you're on the upswing. You're showing like we're a pretender, but we're we're knocking on the door. We could get there. We just need a little bit of help. That's if you could plan for 2025 and then do whatever you need to do after that. And we'll see how that becomes more clear this year, next year and the year after. That's your pathway. 